Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This four-part Working Scientist podcast is supported by the University of Sydney. Explore our research at sydney.edu.au. Hello, I'm Adam Levy, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. In this series, we're looking at the treacherous task of publishing a paper. last two episodes, we've looked at what it takes to get your paper published. In episode one, we broke down how to prepare a manuscript. And in episode two, we looked at how to navigate the peer review process. In this episode, we're going beyond the paper itself and looking at how to promote your publication. After all, a published paper is all well and good, but if no one's reading it, it's hard for it to have much impact on the wider world. Last week, we spoke with Heike Langenberg, who's the chief editor of Communications, Earth and Environment. Heike told us all about responding to peer reviewers, but during our conversation, she also gave me her top tip for getting your research read. Well, the best way to reach as many people as possible, I would say, is before publication, and that is to write a paper that is concise, clear and easy to understand, so that people who want to read the paper can easily do so. Which makes sense. Making your paper readable will help people read your paper. But there are other steps researchers can, maybe even should, take to help get their papers seen. Seen by others working in science, of course, from researchers in the same field to potential employers or funders and seen by the wider world outside of academia, from policymakers to the general public. Psychiatrist Dixon Chabanda is based at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and the University of Zimbabwe in Harare, and he has experienced firsthand how important it can be to humanise your research by telling a compelling narrative. You know, one of my big publications was linked to the work that I do here on the Friendship Bench, which is a brief psychological intervention delivered by trained community grandmothers. You know, at the time, I, I kind of underestimated the impact that would have. But I also learned from that the importance of telling your story, because all of a sudden you get this attention. And as a researcher, it becomes very important to be able to tell your story. So if there's a message I'd like to send out there, is, you know, whatever work you're doing, make sure you're telling your story. 
Of course, explaining your work to an audience, whether they're experts in your field or interested members of the public, can be nerve-wracking. But those nerves are worth conquering, says Dixon. Naturally, most of us do get a bit nervous or anxious when we stand in front of a crowd or an audience to talk about our work. But I think there are ways of preparing yourself what we traditionally do in our team, if any one of our team members is going to be presenting to an external audience, we will practice within our closed group. I I always say to my PhD students, if you cannot articulate the work that you're doing in your local language for the, the villagers in your local village, then you're missing the point. Reaching out with your work isn't just about giving talks, though. It can also involve pushing your paper out through the media. That can mean traditional media, newspapers, radio, etc. Or it can mean social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even YouTube. It can feel quite unnatural to take these steps, especially early in your career, says neuroscientist Agustina Banez. He's at the Institute of Cognitive and Translational Neuroscience in Argentina and the University of California, San Francisco. It was a very, very late stage um, strategy. So all my first paper, I never was in Twitter, Facebook or, or in any newspaper. Now that Agustin has gained more experience collaborating with researchers around the world, he's become accustomed to pushing his work to wider audiences. Now we use a lot of social media to disseminate our work. We also sometimes, when, when we publish a really good paper, we contact different newspapers or journalists and try to disseminate that. Many researchers can be wary of these kinds of interactions. After all, no one wants to see their work misunderstood or misrepresented. For Agustin, this concern is especially pronounced in Latin America, where he's primarily based. Yeah, I think that there's a tension between, you know, how to attract more people, how to be very clear about your results. And I will say that in general, in Latin America, there is a really absence of um, scientific journalist training. So the journalists in general try to highlight as much as possible the the results and sometimes this means that they say something more than is really happening in the work. But in spite of this risk, Agustin feels that the payoff from getting your work disseminated makes the effort more than worth it. It's not an easy way, but after you make this uh, additional effort, you realize how important it is for for integrate the, the results with the opinions and, the, and with society at large. Environmental scientist Jen Burney of the University of California, San Diego, knows that getting a paper seen is a tricky balancing act with getting a paper well understood. Fairly early in her career, she learned this the hard way when a paper she published got a lot of attention but not necessarily the right kind of attention. I had a paper that I wrote when I was postdoc. That was where I learned the hard lesson of writing a press release to go along with a paper uh, because it got picked up fairly widely and it got pretty wildly misinterpreted. Over the course of her career, Jen has gained a few insights in how to ensure that her work is represented as faithfully as possible. One is to work out in advance what areas of confusion might be. Typically... Having been through the peer review process, you understand where the potential misconceptions are about what you've done. 
the way somebody else reads your work in the peer review process is, is really useful for thinking about the way the public might read your work and what needs to be made really clear. Some researchers are great at taking steps to promote their own work, ensuring that it's well understood. But even if that's not your strength, support is often at hand to help you get your work seen. One thing that I found really helpful is working with my university's news office. You know, the university loves to publicize what their faculty and students are doing. And so if I have a paper that's accepted and I know when it's going to come out, I will work with our liaison in the news office to write a press release. Antarctica scientist Pippa Whitehouse of Durham University in the UK has also gained a lot from working with her university's press office. Not only can they make sure that work gets seen by the press, but they can also provide training so that any interviews with journalists are that much less daunting. So I contacted the people here at Durham and they forced me to record some sound bites and listen back to them and reflect on how to communicate information very clearly. That gave me a lot of confidence and all the interaction I've had with the press has been really positive, actually. It can seem a little bit daunting to begin with, but if you give it a go, I I think you'll find that the media are very interested in finding out about science. And I've... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. They enjoyed it as well. It's clear that press offices are incredibly useful hubs for researchers, and press officers typically have plenty of advice. So I got in touch with Jane Hughes, Director of Communications and Public Engagement at the Francis Crick Institute, which is just round the corner from Nature HQ in London. Jane's job means supporting quite a large number of researchers. Overall, it's 1,500. Um, about 1,200 of them are in science roles, and then there are about 300 support staff. That seems like quite a lot of people <laughs> to be um, managing the public image of. Yes. a lot of responsibility sometimes but it's a wonderful place to work now when it comes to promoting their own work when do you think uh, scientists should start thinking about how their paper will reach uh, as many people as possible my advice would always be as soon as you know that you've got a paper that's been accepted for publication you're thinking this is a good one I'm excited about this I think people are going to be interested in this even if you're not sure that's the point when you should be getting in touch with your press office because the more notice that we've got the better it is in terms of thinking how can we make this make the most impact as possible as soon as you get a feeling that it's worth um, letting the press office know about it please do and even if you're not sure come and have a chat with us because we can talk through with you what your research is about and, and, and we're the ones who really know is this going to get in the papers? Is this going to be something for us to have on our website or on social media channels? Is this something that people are going to be interested in and excited about hearing more about? Now, I suppose not all the promotion goes through the press office. Are are there steps that researchers can take on their own to kind of do their own outreach? Well, I've been thinking about this. And one of the things that really makes a difference 
is if there's an interesting image or an interesting video or a bit of extra kind of stuff alongside the paper, which you can share on social media that you can get people looking at and, and thinking about um, that, that just gives it that bit of extra kind of interest and helps bring the research to life. And I was, you know, to take one example, I was looking at a paper that one of our researchers published a few months ago, and he had a really nice little video showing how tumours evolve and how they can evolve differently. And that video was something that we put up on our social media channels and shared. And people really got what he was talking about because they were able to look at that video and understand it. And it was just interesting. And even if it's not going to get into the papers or get on television or on the radio or on um, other people's websites, that's enough for you if you've got something like that to share on social media um, and get around the people who you follow on who follow you and it, it it can really easily take off from that i'd definitely say as well just from making podcasts you know when there's um a paper and you think oh look they've got some audio of these bats exploding or whatever it happens to be yes. <laughs> and you think oh well that people are going to love to listen to this yes exactly and another of our researchers um was was actually doing a, a talk at the crick about um the, the work he'd done looking at the behavior of pregnant mice and how pregnancy changes the way mice behave and he had little vi- a teeny little video of a, of a mouse going and getting food and um, being more defensive of um, baby mice, even if they weren't that that mouse's baby mice. And just seeing that video really brought alive the research that he was doing. So those are the kind of things that really work um, for, for people who are trying to understand your research and are really sort of shareable. And that's also something that one of the researchers I interviewed, Pippa Whitehouse, mentioned for getting your work seen by academic audiences, that having great figures or a smart title can help get your work seen? A key one is to have a killer figure in there. Um, I had a paper published recently and I've definitely seen the main figure used by others in talks more than it's actually got citations at the moment. I think it's important to think about the title. Um, A lot of ways that people get their journal alerts now are by selecting keywords. Um, And so it's definitely worth thinking about what keywords need to be in there so that it appears on people's feeds when they when they get those alerts. Jane, that's what researchers themselves can do to make their work more appealing. What's actually the role of the press office in all of this? A press officer knows all the journalists in your field. They, they know the science journalists um, on different newspapers um, and on different broadcasters and all the relevant websites. And what they can do is talk to you about what your research consists of, think about who's going to be interested in it, and then start having conversations with them. And just by warming them up and getting them interested, it increases the chances that they're going to want to write about it or interview the researcher about it or do something about it when it actually appears and is published. And then the other thing they can be thinking about is if this is a really big piece of news and it's got the potential to get on television, for example, or get on the radio, they can be thinking, okay, well, what Who are they going to want to interview about this? Who are they going to want to film? What are they going to want to see? So it's all that kind of 
planning in advance and laying the groundwork ready to go so that when the paper's actually published, um, it's got the best possible chance of getting the most most attention from the people who are most likely to be interested in it. Now, I know for a lot of researchers, the prospect of, of some of this might be a bit scary, the idea of um, getting the wrong kind of media coverage, perhaps, or things being reported in the wrong way, or also just the limelight being shone on the, the researchers and the individual. What would you say to researchers who are a bit more nervous about uh, their work being broadcast more broadly? Actually, that's where the press office comes in. If you've got a good press office where you work, they're going to work very hard to make sure they talk to the right journalists who aren't going to try and sensationalise or oversimplify your research. And, and by having that time to have those conversations in advance, um, and really explain the research. They're going to work with them to make sure that it gets crossed properly. But I think there's another side to that as well, which is be aware yourself that you must avoid over-sensationalizing, over-hyping, over-promising on your science so that it doesn't kind of oversell the research you're doing. Of course, some researchers go above and beyond to promote their work and others giving public talks, going on Twitter and other social media do you think this is something all scientists should be doing? I guess I would say this because of the job I do, but yes, I do. <laughs> I think one of the responsibilities as a scientist that you have is to help people understand the work you're doing and kind of create a climate which is supportive of what you're doing. As scientists, everybody has a responsibility to try and break down those barriers and, and help the, the, the people who are, are wary and don't understand it and perhaps haven't studied science at school or haven't studied it to a very high level, to help them to understand it. If members of the public don't understand it and don't understand why it matters, then it, it kind of makes your job more uphill work. It makes your job harder. What's your, as, as a press officer, what's your favourite part of the process? I think my favourite part is when you've talked to somebody and thought, this is really exciting. This is a really interesting piece of work. I think we can, we can, we, we can get, get some journalists interested in, that, interested in that, and then you see that actually happening. So, you know, really early in my time here, um, I worked with one of our researchers, Charlie Swanton, seeing, you know, his really important work, getting lots of visibility and people right the way around the world, seeing it and, and understanding the importance of it is, is such a thrill. And um, going back to what we were talking about earlier, seeing it being reported in a responsible way that made it clear why that was, you know, that was, that was research that had the potential to change the lives of people with cancer in the future but it wasn't going to do it tomorrow. That was a real thrill. And on the flip side, are there any, I suppose, pet peeves you have that you come across all the time? Well, I think the pet peeve, again, going back to something I was saying earlier on, is when you've tried very hard with a journalist to get them to understand, or else you haven't been able to have a conversation with the journalist. They've picked up a press release, they haven't talked to you, and then they have just pulled unconnected facts out and overhyped something and um, turned what was uh, a story about an important piece of uh, maybe early stage research and they've turned that into something that really overpromises and gets people who think they might be able to benefit from this tomorrow excited and invested and they may be somebody with cancer who is clinging on to hope because they're at the late stages of the disease and I hate to see that those those people 
getting their hopes raised and then dashed because they realise that actually what they're reading about is an exaggeration of what the research has actually done. Do you ever get surprised by the by the papers which do get the press excited? One of the things about getting things in the media is that you never know what else is is, is going to be in the news that day. So it's very unpredictable. And there can be days when you, you're taken by surprise because it just happened that there wasn't much else going on. And so something that you thought might get a little bit of interest actually got a lot more. So it's, it is really unpredictable. Are there any particular pitfalls that you'd say researchers themselves should be aware of when they're promoting their work, either by themselves or, or with the support of the press office? Really avoid over-sensationalising or over-promising with your research. Be straightforward about what it is actually saying. Um, and then don't feel you've got to show off how difficult or complex or hard to explain your research is, because that's going to just be a big turn off to people who don't understand it. You're, you're going to be talking to people who've got all sorts of other things trying to get their attention. So just make it as simple and clear and straightforward as you can. That was Jane Hughes of the Francis Crick Institute. And our researchers have more tips on how to have productive interactions with journalists. For one, Jen points out that the timescales of news cycles are very different to the timescales of most research. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to take those requests seriously and and importantly to take them in a timely manner, right? Because science proceeds at a very slow pace compared to the press world. It's typically really fun to talk to reporters. It's a it's a really interesting view, particularly because science reporters often have you know really like a much broader understanding of the scientific world than than a given scientist in their domain, right? Uh, so it's it, I like hearing kind of what their perspective is on this. And all of this isn't just about getting more people to know about your work. Dixon points out that disseminating your work can have direct benefits on your research, whether you're spreading the word through the press, social media, or talks. You know, so I do all of those things, and I think that's helped me tremendously over the years, not only to get the publicity for the work that we do, but also to to network with alternative funders, you know, uh, who are interested in the work that we're doing. So it's it's good to not put your work away once it's published, but to really ask yourself, how can you take it to the next level? So promoting your research can get it to a wider audience and help form connections with other researchers and even funders. But there's another, more personal benefit to all of this too. Here's Agustine. The really, really very important thing is to learn to how to explain in a more simple way your research. This will make you a better researcher. So when you can explain in an easy way, in a clear way, what you are doing, you understand better your own research. So where next for you and your publications? Well, we've discussed how to get that paper published and publicised. But the paper landscape is changing and the way the process works may be pretty different in the future. And we'll be discussing exactly that, the future of the paper, in the next and final episode of this Nature Careers podcast. See you then. I'm Adam Levy. This four-part Working Scientist podcast is supported by the University of Sydney. Explore our research at sydney.edu.au.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.